Life Audio. We got to contend for some of this stuff. We don't sit just passively by and hope that time will heal. The abundant life, the spiritual warfare, none of that comes to the passive person. We've got to contend for the promises of God. Hello, welcome to the Faith Over Fear podcast, where we discuss powerful truths to counter anxiety and fear, big and small. At Holy Love Ministries, we are passionate about helping God's children discover, embrace, and experience soul, deep, emotional, and spiritual freedom, and we want to inspire you to share that freedom with others. We would love to connect with you online. Just visit our show notes to learn about one of our upcoming events, how to book one of our speakers for your next event, or simply how to connect with us. Well, good day to you. It's Joel with The King Country dropping in to let you know that our brand new film, Unsung Hero, is in theaters now. It's Luke here. We've teamed up with the creators of Jesus Revolution to bring you this adventure of a lifetime. It's a powerful, true story about a family uniting, growing in their faith and facing the impossible together. In theaters now, unsunghero.movie for more information. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. What impacts you every day? There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists, the way we measure time, social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org impact. Jennifer Slattery, and I imagine some of you are approaching the new year with hope and anticipation, armed with goals you wish to tackle and dreams to pursue. But I also suspect there are some of you who are currently enduring crisis or heartache, and maybe you're recently stepping out of a hard season. Maybe you're worried that more pain awaits, and maybe you've begun to question whether God has good planned for you whether he indeed is good, even when life hurts. Well, my guest today, Susie Larson, has wrestled with those questions, and she's learned some powerful truths that kept her standing when overwhelming circumstances threatened to pull her into despair. Susie, thank you so much for joining us. Honored to be with you. Thanks for having me, Jennifer. Last fall, Susie spoke at a communicators retreat I attended, and I was deeply inspired by her testimony and insights and her obvious intimacy with Christ. Susie Larson is a best-selling author, national speaker, and host of the popular radio show, Susie Larson Live. Whether behind a desk or behind a mic, Susie lives out her passion to see people everywhere awakened to the depth of God's love the value of their soul, and the height of their calling in Christ Jesus. She's a two-time finalist for the prestigious John C. Maxwell Transformational Leadership Award, and she's the author of over 20 books and devotionals, and her daily blessings reach over half a million people each week on social media. Her radio show is her daily on the Faith Radio Network, 
as well as around the world through her podcast, which has more than 3.5 million downloads. A popular media guest and guest host, Susie has frequently appeared on shows like Focus on the Family, Life Today, and Family Life Today. She's also a devoted wife, a mother of three, grandmother to numerous grandchildren, and mama to one adorable pit bull named Memphis. Susie, as I mentioned moments ago, when I heard your story, I was deeply touched and inspired. And honestly, I, as I listened, I, I sensed God's presence in a powerful and really tender way. And can you share with our listeners a little of your background, some of the wounding you experienced as a child? And then also, I know you currently have a, an ongoing battle with Lyme disease, correct? Mm -hmm. Correct. Yes, absolutely. You know, I um, often say I was raised, well, I was raised in a large family in a denomination where I knew God was real, but I didn't know Jesus was accessible. That's just true. I, I, as a child, had a sense of God's presence, but I didn't know the gospel. The gospel wasn't preached in our particular denomination. And so I didn't really understand the need for a savior. I was a, you know, insecure, sweet, rule abiding child, so to speak, uh, fifth of seven. But when I was about nine years old, around that time, my brothers started to hang with some creepy friends and I love my brothers and God has done a deep redemptive work in our family to this day. Praise God. But amen. But back then, uh, you know, they had their own trauma. And the, the thing is, and we'll talk about this later, but when you don't resolve trauma, you go to coping mechanisms that devastate you and everybody else. Yes. And so that's what a couple of them did. And one unsuspecting day when I was about nine years old, I was in the laundry room getting a change of clothes. My mom wasn't home from work yet. And uh, the laundry room door shut behind me. And I turned around to see several of my brother's friends there. No brother. We had a two-story house and seven kids. Kids were coming and going all the time. And so that wasn't unusual in that there were kids coming and going. But when the door shut behind me and I saw them glaring at me, you know, I'd known because I'd seen some of their magazines, they were getting into porn and to pop wow. and all mm -hmm. kinds of that stuff. So in a matter of moments, they had me pinned to the floor and I suffered a sexual assault. And I, my dad was the mayor of our city at that time. And so I always was aware that people were watching our family and having this happen in our house connected to my brother's friends. I was terrified that I would bring, you know, some kind of scandal on our family. And I just was so confused about whose fault it was. So I walked out of that laundry room, just completely traumatized, but really just stuffed it down in the basement of my soul. I just didn't dare tell anybody. But what happens when you do that? I mean, it's just an infection emerges and I've just self-contempt, fear, all kinds of things sort of uh, arose from that. And I would say about a year later, around 10 years old, you know, I was still like four feet tall at the time. I was a small girl and I was walking home from school. We lived across the street from a high school and then behind that was the elementary. And I was walking across the baseball field and just kind of kicking the dirt up. And I noticed my brother's friend's bikes were out in front. And I thought to myself, and I said out loud, I don't care if God made me this way. Those boys will never touch me again. Like I, because I, I was internally processing that maybe you're born this way, you know, and meaning like a female, which makes um, you, you know, susceptible. So, well, that's a great question. So our, we our backyard backed up to a foster home. And my dad used to say, be kind to these kids and these girls, but don't do what they do. And they were troubled youth. And my brother's friends and brothers would hang around with them. So I always had so much compassion and pity, but I knew they were messing around. So I just thought it was the way you were born. So I didn't feel any judgment. I was just gotcha. a young girl. I just didn't get it, you know? Right. So when that happened, I, I really thought of like, 
am, am I, you know, am I born and destined for, you know, am I, have is not, it my I, fault? And, and yes, 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 yes. Yeah. Yeah. I just was so confused about it because I had nobody to process that with. So just saying, you know, I like, I'm going to defy this won't happen to me again. And I was kicking up the dirt in the baseball diamond and out of the blue, a different group of boys were hanging out in the baseball diamond. And I just hear in my ear, they yelled, they go get her. And they ran out of the baseball diamond, ran me, knocked me to the ground and pummeled me, beat me bad. And I know that they were high because I, I remember like yesterday, the crazed look in their eyes and they wow. laughed as they like kicked me in the stomach and punched I'm me so in the face. Sorry. Wow. This was the hair and I'm screaming and crying. And, and they just thought they were beating me up for sport. You know, Jennifer, I say this often, but like we're so desensitized to violence. But if anybody, I don't care who you are at the first time you take a fist to the face, it's trauma. Yeah, it is. There are some people who are so hardened by their trauma that they don't think about it anymore. But that just means they have that many more layers that need to be healed yeah. because it's not supposed to happen. Right. Right. But when they pushed off of me and walked away and were laughing, like, can you believe we just did that? I had scratches on my face. I had a fat lip. My hair was all snarled. My ribs hurt. My, I thought I was going to throw up. I was so traumatized and I got up and I heard in my ear, not audibly, but it might as well have been, I can get to you anytime, anywhere, and God will never stop me. And at that moment, I knew the devil was real and it, it terrorized me. And yeah. um, I mean, literally, like I thought I'm destined for a life to have to endure everything I fear. Wow. You know, I came home and, and that and my family knew about the beating because I was beat up. And so I got a lot of sympathy and compassion and I put it on all the all the trauma <laughs> in my soul. You know what I mean? But it was still it, it awakened a lot of fear in me. And uh, once I got into middle school, I just became an overachiever because for one, it kept me busy after school till my mom got home from work, but two, mm. it helped me dig out of the hole that I thought I was in. And I often say, you know, that the devil goes after your identity. He sees yes. your potential long before you ever do. And I think anybody has to just look into their childhood to the first time you felt not enough. You felt afraid. You felt whatever that was contrary to who you actually are as an image bearer of God. You know that the enemy's threat against you is very connected to your threat to him. He's threatened by you. And he's terrified of the idea of you coming into the fullness of your identity as a loved child of God. So he's going to try to preempt constantly a different outcome. But if you don't know who you are, you will misuse your time, treasure, and talents to prove something that Jesus has already proven. And I think the kingdom is filled with people who maybe have been walking with God a long time and they know they're saved, but they don't know they're loved. And so they're still striving. They're still trying to right. earn, still trying to dig their way out of the hole. So it was in middle school, junior high school is what we called it back then. I was walking out the door. I was really close to my mom. I had a great relationship with my mom. My mom, my dad, we, well, before he died, we had an awesome relationship. But in those years, he was a little more distant, a little harsh at times. And uh, I was terrified of bringing shame on him. And so that was a, a hard relationship. But my mom was amazing at making each of us seven kids feel like wow. we're her favorite. <laughs> you know, she's, she's amazing. But I was walking out the door to a slumber party and she jokingly and teasingly said to me, because I was in eighth grade, she's like, now don't sneak out and meet boys. And I stopped and I thought I was going to throw up. And it was like, that is the last thing I would ever do to put myself in that position. I mean, no, I know that was the age when girls were starting to, you know, notice boys and experiment with boys and all that. But I thought it's going to, I mean, I, I almost stopped and turned around to say, mom, let me tell you why. Yeah. That is the last, you know, and I thought this is a defining moment because if I share this with her, it'll change our relationship forever. And I couldn't do it. So I just said, I won't sneak out. 
And so when the time came, you know, the slumber party, we're eating chips and dancing to the Beach Boys, which yeah. tells you how old I am, <laughs> and uh, doing the swim. And anyway, but it got to be, I don't know, like 10 o'clock at night, and the girls decided to sneak out to meet boys. And I, I literally felt like terror in my cells, like, oh, and I, there's no way I was going. And I'm like, you you don't want to go out in the dark and meet boys, some of which you know, some of you, you don't know what you're, and they just thought I was a big killjoy. And so I stayed back with the two girls who smoked, which I think was, you know, I I joke that I didn't inhale, but I didn't even smoke. But anyway, <laughs> they were in their sleeping bags at one end of the basement and really wanted nothing to do with me. And I'm on the other side. I'm just sitting in my sleeping bag. with. But they were joking and mocking. They went to the local Catholic school for their education. And they were mocking what the nun had taught that day about the book of Revelation. And they're like, oh, as if, like there's going to be an end of time. And as if there's going to be these seals that open up. And as if, and they were describing the seals and the bulls and the judgments. And I'm like, I'd never heard anything like that before. So I went out on the picnic table. I felt wooed by God, really. I see it now. I didn't know then, but I, I sat out on the picnic table, so insecure, so alone, so didn't fit anywhere, you know. And, uh, and like, even as a gymnast and as someone who sang in the choir, I had decent athletic ability. So I was associated with the popular crowd, but never a legitimate member ever because I was so pro profoundly insecure and they picked up on that. And it, so I just really did not fit anywhere. So I sat on that picnic table and said, God, I know you're real, but if there's more to you than I know, would you reveal yourself to me? And I literally said this, Jennifer, I said, I'm going to start reading the Bible. I think it's kind of boring, but if you can <laughs> snazz it up for me, we got a deal. <laughs> and I always picture God rubbing his temples going, ah, in on a technicality. I got it. <laughs> but I just didn't know what I didn't know. But I started to read the scripture under my bed sheet with a flashlight at night. And I fell in love with Jesus, fell in love with him. And I just, I started to understand that I was a sinner in need of his savior. But even then I didn't know I was loved. And so you jump ahead. I was a, uh, my parents released me to leave our particular denomination and I could run after God with everything in me. I met my husband at a Christian singles camp retreat and he was raised in an evangelical faith. And we just had so much passion. And I, I was like, I'm going to have plaques on every wall. <laughs> I'm going to have Bibles in every translation. I mean, I was just like, let me at them, you know? And so I served in church that way too, lots of committees. And I would say part of it was sincere passion, but part of it really was earning and trying to prove my way. And, and I mean, just so grateful to be part of the family of God. And, uh, but then we got pregnant on our honeymoon. We were going to wait five years. And during that pregnancy, found out I had something called endometriosis and the doctors, we were young twenties. And the doctors said, you will have a hysterectomy in your twenties. So you need to have babies now, or then you're going to need a hysterectomy me because it was growing all over inside. And so we had Jake and then 18 months later, we had Luke and with Luke's pregnancy, um, I was on bed rest for three months and I don't have time to get into that story. I tell it at length in my book, Fully Alive, but I had a doctor who hated women and was terrible to women. And it was a very traumatic birth. And he does things to women when the husbands are out of the room. And oh, wow. uh, it was unbelievable. And so that's the thing is I, I really, I don't know. I don't know if I've ever said this out loud, but I really do I mean, I know the enemy can't read our minds, but he does. He's had our lives to study us. And I think when there is unresolved trauma, 
and there is a victim mindset, people who are evil at heart can perpetrate and sense an opening. I just, I just think that's right. absolutely right. true. And this doctor in due time ended up losing his license for what he was doing to women. It was that he was that evil. Wow. So that was a bummer and that was hard and it was yucky, but delivered Luke and then got pregnant shortly thereafter within a year. I want to say um, they're like 18 and 22 months apart. But during our third pregnancy, our son, Jordan, I was went to bed at three months along. So I had six months of bed rest with a one and a wow. three year old. Now, remember, wow. I'm still a striver. I'm serving right. on every committee. I'm never in anybody's debt because I'm giving and giving and giving. And to have to go to bed for six months with a one and a three-year-old and have all of my past trauma and insecures come to the surface, I, wow. I can't even explain to you how terrible that was. And we were, we didn't have a lot of money. We were, I don't want to say we were poor relatively, but we had no money and no food. Right. And, um, wow. uh, and every trip to the hospital to stop labor was costing us money. And so I was about six months along. So I was three months in and my, I'm, my friends were dropping off. I was watching my husband get exhausted. I mean, giving, bringing meals for a month is one thing. Six months is a long time. So right. friends were getting tired of me. I, I, God seemed silent. The word felt wow. dead on the page. I didn't know where God was. And I was three months into bed rest. So six months along. And the doctors have said, you know, you haven't contracted for a few days. Let's get you up and see how you do. And so I got to meet my old college roommates on a fall day for lunch. We were super careful, went for a short walk. By nighttime, I was contracting again. So I went back to bed. And two weeks from that outing, a friend came to visit and she said, hey, we're where's your water bottle or whatever. And I pointed and pins and needles shot out my arm. Oh. And as she kept talking, this buzzing, pulsating feeling started at the base of my skull and it pulsed around and my whole face was buzzing and pulsating. And I'm listening to her, but I, I like these neurological fireworks are going off in my body. And I'm like, no way, no way, no way. Like what? I've got three months left of pregnancy. I'm on every prayer chain. I mean, people are sick of me. What? God, you know, long story short, I find out a year later after I delivered Jordan that I was that one day up was unknowingly bit by the deer tick and contracted Lyme disease. That one day that you went walking, you think? Yes. Or, wow. Yeah, yeah wow. because of the incubation period and when symptoms presented itself, that's what they determined. Wow. And it was a fall wow. day. And we were walking on a path through the woods. And That must have uh, felt crushing to, to think oh, of like and this. And the lie. This, yeah. I can get to you anytime anywhere. It was like reinforced, you know, oh. as a young adult. And uh, I've written a lot about that journey, seven years of incredible army crawling, and then 20 years of just managing. I, I went into the fitness industry. I taught fitness classes and trained instructors and that kept the fight in me, but I still, I mean, I never felt great. So for about 20 years, I would be, I couldn't get out of bed three, four, five times a year. So every few months, my face would start to go numb. The neuro symptoms would flare and I'm like, oh, here we go. And I, I would get just surges of inflammation and get so sick, I'd have to go to bed for a while and then kind of climb myself out. But I was such a fighter that I'm like, I got stuff to do and I'm not going to let this define me. But then I hit a pretty bad relapse about eight years ago. And apparently people with chronic Lyme often have an inability to process mold. And so when the face started to go numb and my arms were going numb and I'm like, oh no, oh no. And all of a sudden it was that and then some massive neurological cognitive issues. I mean, I was writing a book and I forgot how to spell very basic words. I'm on live radio every day and I was forgetting what words should go in my senses. My tongue was going numb, my whole jaw, the ear ringing was off the charts. And so I'm like, my whole body felt like it was hooked up to an electrical wire and it was just absolutely insane. And apparently I was unknowingly repeatedly exposed to black mold, which had affected my brain. And so I had the a fight on my hands. Um, 
and working my way back from that. And so all that to say, I'm not a stranger to hardship and God's not wasted anything on me at all. And I'm sorry if it took me so long, but no, it's like, I, I was a great yeah. story. Yeah. And, but he's so faithful. And I can honestly say, in fact, I, my sister was so surprised in this waking up book that we're talking about today. She was one of my sample readers and she was so surprised to read a line in the book that I said, I'm now at a place. I don't feel like I've lost anything. I feel like I've gained the kingdom. Wow. I mean, I, it's been a long fight, but he's redeemed so much. Much, and I know so much more of him and his word. I mean, the enemy is losing real estate by the day in my Praise life. Praise uh, God. Yeah. And so I really do feel like I can stand here now, even though like right now I'm a little numb here, a little numb here. The ears are ringing pretty loud. I don't feel like I've lost anything. I feel like I've gained the kingdom. So he's faithful. He's faithful. And what he allows, he does redeem. But it is important. And I loved your questions that you sent ahead of time, because I can tell that you have that in your heart too, that we got to contend for some of this stuff. We don't sit just passively by and hope that time will heal. The abundant life, the spiritual warfare, none of that comes to the passive person. We've got to contend for the promises of God. And we've got to remind ourselves who God is in the midst of, as we're processing through the hard things that he allowed. What impacts you every day? There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists, the way we measure time, social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org impact. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. I forgot to mention your book actually when we started, which I read and I loved, and you've got a lot of, I call them power statements that you can really grab hold of if you're having a rough day or if you're feeling a little down. To our listeners, it's called Waking Up to the Goodness of God, and it's for those who've been disappointed when the good life, quote unquote, let them down or discouraged by life struggles. And this book reminds us and helps us like like Susie said, contend, fight for this truth that God is good. He is trustworthy, life-giving, and everlasting. And from the back cover, it says, Jesus wants to lead you on a healing path to redeem your story and make you whole. I think, Susie, that's one of the things that I find so powerful with your story is, and especially even as we're talking now, and you're, you keep inserting these scriptural truths, right? You're like, yes, this was really hard, but here is truth. And when I was listening to you speak at the Communicators Collective, 
I was, I came in discouraged and I left inspired. Mm-hmm. And so I, I really, I really love that. And you write about our tendency to let our insecurities linger unchallenged. That phrase really felt powerful to me. So explain what that means and how it looked in your own life. Yeah, boy, that's such a good question. And, you know, there's a reason this is a 40 day journey. It's 40 days toward healing and wholeness because you got to practice it. You don't default to positions of faith, hope, and love, or even a holy confidence. You default to insecurity, fear, doubt, worry, despair, because it's the gravity. We live behind enemy lines for now. And so that is where our gaze will default. So we do have to contend on a regular basis. But I say this often, and others have said it as well, but you do have to feel it to heal it. And so when we try so hard not to feel those things, and we keep stuffing them down with different coping mechanisms, it really does reinforce captivity and it postpones our freedom. But, you know, when the Lord allows something to surface, it's because he's ready to redeem it. And as you know, Jennifer, healing doesn't come in a straight line. It's not linear. It's layer by layer by layer. And just as God wants to heal us, he wants to use us in profound ways. So if he allows a storm or allows an overplayed enemy hand, I always believe it's to position us for freedom because there's a next place of promise that he has for us. And in the Beatitudes, Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of God. And the poor in spirit really translates blessed are those who know their need because theirs is the kingdom. And so what I feel like is when, when your stuff, I call it the self-life, when that surfaces, because you've been rattled, you've been stirred, you've been poked, everybody has triggers. When your stuff gets triggered, you've got, you can either put your head in the sand and numb out. You can point to somebody else's wart on their face going, look, they're way worse than me (laughs) and make excuses for the stuff that's coming up. Or you can lean in to say, actually, You say blessed, which means to be envied and to be favored and to be happy. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, which means as I lean in to go, Lord, I've come to the edges of myself once again. You've shown me the limits of my love, of my patience, of my perspective. And you say I'm highly favored to be happy, to be blessed, because when I get to the edges of myself, it means there's more of you to know. I always say, no matter how long you've walked with God, you hold the Dixie cup and the ocean remains. But when you start to get encouraged, when your stuff shows, our old retired pastor, he's a retired guy. He's still pastoring as a retired pastor, just pouring into people. But about 20, 30 years ago, he said to me, Susie, when you get stirred up, he said, that is the Holy Spirit reaching inside your soul, pulling that out and showing you, you see this, I'm about to deliver you. And I, I love that so much because it's like, we don't like to face those things, but I think if we can get over ourselves and be willing to be known as people who need saving, I mean, aren't we all a pile of contradictions? One day you're grateful, the next day you're grumpy. One day you're generous, the next day you're grabby. You know, we're like that. Right. And it's amazing that his compassions never fail, that he sends new mercies to our door every morning, which means he's sending mercies to you before you even lift your head off the pillow and have a chance to blow it, which I interpret to mean that he is so committed to getting you safely home, that he has sent grace on ahead, mercy on ahead. He knows full well the lies you picked up when life lets you down. He knows how you're going to trip and and stumble. And he knows when people are going to trigger you in a way that doesn't show your best self. He knows all about it. And he's fully committed to getting you home because he wants so much to spend eternity with you. So we have to live loved. We have to learn how to live loved. And one of the regular guests on my show, Dr. Rob Reamer, says it really well. He said, the way that you get that truth imprinted on your identity as a deeply loved child of God is to put it in there at the very moment the lie 
guy is vying for a position. So that's when you practice it. When insecurity, when accusation, when the inner critic is loud in your ear, you go, no, it's exactly at this time. I'm deeply loved. I'm highly favored. And I get to be a work in progress without the condemnation. You got to speak to your soul. You got to retrain your brain. You got to align yourself with the promises of God. And one more thing Reamer says is that you know you're on a faulty platform when your thoughts are weakening you, causing insecurity, causing you fear. That's a faulty platform. You're not thinking as a deeply loved child of God. And the amazing thing is when you start to identify that you're seated with Christ, which means you can't be more secure. If you're in Christ, you're seated as we read in Ephesians. You can't be more secure than that. So you've got to align your thoughts that I said this at the Communicators Collective, that really we're going to have insecure moments and days. We all do. But truly, theologically, you can't. I think insecurity is an illusion for Christians because in reality, if you were to peel the sky back and see the ranking of demons and angels and the authority of God, you being seated with Christ, you would never have another insecure day in your life. So even though our wheel continues to pull right or pull left and pull us off the track of, I'm a deeply loved child of God, seated with Christ, I get to be a work in progress. And whatever he allows, he redeems. When you start to think that way, I'm telling you what, the devil will lose real estate in your life. <clears throat> and you'll be able to go through your trials without them shaking you to the right and left as much. So this is stuff you contend for, but it's life-giving. And I'll wrap with this. The scripture says, a mindset on the spirit is life and peace. So if there's not life on the thoughts that you're thinking, if there's not peace in your heart with the story you're telling yourselves, you might need to tell yourselves a better story. I love that with the collective, the communicators collective, you talked about it's time for a new narrative. You yeah. really emphasize that. And so in your book, you wrote two things that really tie into what you just were talking about. And I'd like us to close with this. So you talked about stress doesn't exhaust us, stress without purpose does. And then similarly, you talked about how the stories we tell ourselves play a significant role in our level of exhaustion. And I hear the, the Holy Spirit power within you as you speak, right? And mm -hmm. so can you explain on that? And then how does that look in your life when you're having a really rough day and you're like, I just feel like a semi ran over me, but I got this stuff to take care of. Yeah, it's exactly. You know, I love that question so much because I didn't learn all this from reading in a book. I mean, I read it in scripture, but it's hard fought wisdom because I did it wrong so many times. And I realized, you know, the times where my, the story I was telling myself was actually enforcing exhaustion. And one of the hard things that has come with this battle is insomnia. Now I've thanked the Lord. I'm in a better spot now, but for Thanks a God. long stretch, I was getting two hours a night and that's torture. It's yes, pure torture. Yes. And it's like, I'm trying to be on live radio. And when, when I don't get sleep, it causes all these neuro symptoms. My whole neck goes numb. My face goes numb. And I'm, I'm just not sharp. I hate it. I literally, there's been times yeah. where I'm like, kill me or heal me. But yeah. this is torture, Lord. You know, it's been really, really hard. Well, and that is a form of torture for- It is. For prisoners of war. Right. They deprive them of sleep. So I'm like, I hate it. Right. <laughs> so I've thrown plenty of hissy fits. Let me just tell you. <laughs> but there have been times where I was rehearsing that in the spirit of God. God convicted me. And I thought, Lord, what's a better story here? And I realized that, you know, it's the joy of the Lord that's our strength. And as I pressed in, he quickens our mortal body. That's what's scripture. He gives power to the weak, strength to the powerless. Those are supernatural propositions. And I'm not the only tired person on the planet. And so I really had to go until these things line up and I'm not stopping fighting for them because Lord, these are basic body essentials. So I'm contending for those like a bulldog, praise God. <laughs> However, when I'm not getting those, I've got to hold on to your promises that are superior 
to my circumstances. And when I started to do that, you give power to the weak. You know, those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. I started to speak that over my life. I'm telling you, Jennifer, something shifted in me. And this isn't name it, claim it, but what you say about your life does affect. Even science, apart from faith, has determined what you speak out physiologically impacts your cells. I mean, that is a proven fact. And you'll just notice yourself if you start, I mean, you're around even people who are complaining about everything. It sucks the oxygen right out of the room. And and it, I will tell you, when someone speaks redemptively and authentically, there's life on it for them and for you. But that's still different than someone who doesn't want to be around anybody who's suffering and who's rising above. And just it's sort of like this happy, clappy, don't admit you have a cough. Don't talk. You know, I hate that because that's I've had people sort of press that on when I'm army crawling and they're like, just don't talk about it. Just pretend it doesn't exist. And I'm like, that's crazy. And so I wanted biblical faith. And so I like, Lord, show me what biblical faith is, because that's not helpful when you've lost a loved one, when your spouse has walked away or your business has failed. That happy, clappy, pretend it doesn't exist is dumb. I don't like it. But I don't want to be around cynicism and unbelief and constant whining and complaining because that's what the Israelites did. I want biblical faith. And the Lord brought me to Romans 4. And Abraham, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. So he wasn't happy, clappy. He wasn't pretending. But he did not let that cause him to waver in unbelief regarding the promises of God. In fact, he looked straight in the face that the fact that his body was as good as dead. And then he moved deeper into the promises of God, knowing that God... God was able to fulfill what he'd promised. And so as we get ready to wrap, you know, I'll say one of the things that really helped me, one of the passages that helped me so much, because I'm like, I'm, I'm always wrestling for biblical faith because this stuff is for me is cyclical. And I, as a former fitness person, and I, I care about health and I, I, on my show, I cover health topics a lot because I, I, I love it. I just feel like that's part of how God's wired me. It's such a bummer to work so hard and not feel well for long stretches of period of time. And so I want biblical faith. I, I want to stand in a place that I have a solid biblical case to to pray and appeal to God. And in um, Psalm 100, 106, verse 7, it's the Amplified. It's 107, verse 6 or 6, verse 7. You'll have to look it up. But Amplified, look in the Amplified. Because I wanted to learn from the Israelites. What did they do wrong? Because I don't want to do that. I don't want to be a grumbler and a complainer. And they remembered Egypt wrongly. They were in the in-between. They had a wrong narrative. They glamorized brutal torture slavery. Scripture says it was oppressive. It was brutal. It was unrelenting. That's how Scripture describes their time yeah. in Egypt. But they're like, oh, we've remembered remembers, you know, the steak and the whatever. They just wrongly remember <laughs> right. it because they were they had whining baked into their DNA. But in this particular scripture, in Psalm 106 7 or 107 6, I don't know. <laughs> I'm so sorry. It's the amplified, but it says the three things that they didn't do. One was they no longer they didn't appreciate or remember the significance of God's miracles. And they had a front row seat to the miracles. I mean they were they were liberated from Egypt with the riches of Egypt. Not a feeble yes, one yes. was among them. I mean, that's what scripture says. That's impossible unless God miraculously healed everybody after brutal, brutal slave torture labor. You know, there were herniated discs and plantar wow. fasciitis and a colons burst and parasites. There's no way they weren't completely physically battered from, as I studied what they endured, there's no way that there was not a feeble one among them unless God healed them when they were on that home under the blood, when the angel of death was passing through Egypt, the angel of life, I believe, was passing through to God's people because he set them up for success. Yet they were so quick, so quick to forget the miracles. So I say, if you're in between miracles, grab one from scripture and pull it to the forefront of your mind and say, this is going to be, this is enough for now. He's the same God. He's the one who parts the sea. Everywhere he went, he healed people. I'm contending to this God. 
because he's a promise keeping God. The second thing they did was they didn't marvel at the abundance of his mercies and his mercies are new every morning as we talked about. And you think about, you know, not only all God has provided in your life, but all he's prevented, like what hasn't happened to you. I've spent whole quiet times praising him for the things that didn't happen to me. And what about the times you spoke out of turn and didn't get in trouble for it? And that not to say that he looks lightly on sin, but he doesn't punish us as our sins deserve. That's an amazing mercy. His mercy is amazing. And they no longer were in awe or marveled. We should be in perpetual awe of his mercies, right? And the third thing they didn't do was they didn't imprint his loving kindness on their hearts. That wasn't their default mindset. So when any time any hardship came, they accused God and blamed him of things that the devil was guilty of. And so I'll circle back to say the whole purpose of this 40-day journey in this book, Waking Up to the Goodness of God, is to do those three things to help you appreciate that he's the same God, the miracle working God, to help you stay in awe of his mercies because he hasn't punished you as your sins deserve. He hasn't exposed you and thrown you out to the wolves. He's not done that. He disciplines, he corrects, he directs, but he hasn't punished us as we deserve. And then finally, imprinting his loving kindness on your heart takes practice. It just does. So when you do that and the regular old triggers come, suddenly you're going to default to faith because you've been doing the work of renewing your mind. And I'm telling you, it will change your life. Well, that's beautiful. To our listeners, we'll put a link in our show notes to her book and then also to her website and her podcast. This has been awesome. I just want to say again, the book has really great power statements that you can grab. You can read them, write them on a notepad and then hold tight to them the next day. And then you can read the next section of the book. So it's really awesome. Susie, thank you so much for joining us. Honored to be with you, Jennifer. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you for listening. If you haven't already done so, I encourage you to subscribe to this podcast. Then you won't miss a single episode. Share it with your friends. And until next time, may you live as one who truly has been set free. Have you ever felt conflict between your faith and feelings? If so, you're not alone. My name is Carly Mercouillier. I'm a licensed therapist and the host of the Therapy and Theology podcast, where we explore popular topics and questions related to faith, feelings, and spiritual formation. I want to invite you to join me every Thursday as we fearlessly name the complexities of our reality, grow in the awareness of who we are, and rediscover the power and purpose of our unique stories through the lens of the gospel. Subscribe today at lifeaudio.com.